Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from clinical development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. For those in the gene therapy space, you've probably heard of him. Dr. Suku Nagendran is quite the household name. Starting his career practicing internal medicine in Arizona, he joined the industry in big names like Pfizer, DSI, Quest Diagnostics before the leap into biotech. He was the chief medical officer of Avexis Gene Therapies. He's now the president of R&D at Jaguar Gene Therapies, and he's serving on boards across the industry. Suku, welcome to the podcast. To get us started, we want to hear more about Avexis. It's you know the darling of the industry, and you've had a great experience there. Can you tell us more about it? Thank you, Kim, uh, you know, for this invitation to talk to you all about my experience in the world of biotech and gene therapy. Uh, I, I, before I get into Avexis, what I'd like to start by saying is that I wake up every day and pinch myself <clears throat> for now being considered an expert in gene therapy, given that my background is internal medicine, and I always considered myself a country doc. So as you highlighted, you know, I've spent almost 24 years now in the pharma biotech uh, diagnostic sector. And uh, in the, during that course of my career is when I ran into Sean Nolan, who was at Riata with me, uh, it's, which is also a pretty well-known biotech. And it's that connection that actually took me to Avexis. So in 2015, when I was at Quest Diagnostics, heading the medical organization and actually being quite happy and satisfied with what I was doing, Sean calls me up and says, hey, you know, I just became CEO of this company called Avexis, and you have to go talk to, uh, uh, you know, um, Jerry Mandel and Brian Casper at Nationwide Children's Hospital because I, he, I, he thought that they had something that could be transformative. So I went out uh, to Nationwide uh, Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, looked at the data, looked at their early animal data as well as the data that they had from the clinic in a horrible disease called spinal muscular atrophy type 1, and I was blown away. The one-to-one -one translation of the preclinical work into the clinic and the fact that this was a devastating disease and the fact that I had never seen this kind of data translation from the animal into the human gave me this gut feeling that this could eventually become a cure. So on my way out, when I left Nationwide, I called uh, Sean Nolan and I said, I'm in. I'm, going to, I'm more than happy to join you as chief medical officer because I think we can do something magical and transformative for patients. Incredible. So was it the data that really made you decide to take the leap? It sounds like a lot of people told you not to go to Avexis at the early days. A lot of your mentors and people you trusted. What made you decide to, to move over? It wasn't just the data. It is the translation of the data. So what I'm talking about is that the Delta 7 mouse model had significant death rates at 14 days. And the fact that these mice lived quite long, and on top of that, the fact that in the human beings that they had actually dosed the first six children were, were doing things that were not expected. This gave me significant hope. And yes, many people, including uh, folks at uh, you know, the company I was working for, said, hey, you're going to take a very big risk in going to a startup that is still not that well funded. But something told me, based on my prior experiences in drug development, this gene therapy program could really transform lives. So I had the confidence not only in what I had seen, from Jerry Mandel's work, but also I had confidence in Sean because Sean Nolan, you know, historically had done some uh, very uh, interesting work in other disease states in biotech. And I felt that the team, if it came together, could really make a difference for patients. 
So it was not just the translation of the data, it was also the leadership team that you were joining and the confidence and the people that you were doing it with that you really thought that something was special out of Excess. Absolutely. So that is something I would always highlight to anyone who wants to get into biotech and play a leadership role, which includes being a chief medical officer. That is that you not only do you have to have confidence in yourself, you have to have self-awareness of your gaps, but you also have to have the right people around you. And I want to throw this quote in, which I, I always remind many of uh, my team members and also even my superiors around me, that I consider myself a nobody who is now a somebody because of everybody around me. It is my team and the people around me who have helped me and others be successful. So but on, on that note, Suku, tell us a little bit what it was like to be the CMO at Avexis, a small biotech company. Uh, I believe you were in the, in the first maybe 30, 40 employees that the company was hired and you were coming from Big Pharma, you were coming from Diagnostic, all of a sudden you were put in into this fast-paced biotech gene therapy. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and how was it like to be a CMO, some of the challenges you had to face. So, I mean, uh, that's a very good and important question because it does give many people insights into what it is like to start in an early stage company. So I'll give you my first day. I get to Chicago, I walk into this tiny office and Sean points me to a corner desk with a chair and says, that's your office. So that was my first day. And I still remember thinking to myself at the end of the day, what did I sign up for, okay? Because I, I was actually, in, I think in the first 15 employees and I didn't really have much of a team. I had a couple of junior team members and there was a ton of work to do because the program was already in the early stages of the clinic and we were trying to execute on this program with Nationwide Children's Hospital. And at the same time, we were also planning to put together a regulatory package to try to move this program forward given how the data was accumulating. And we were also talking about actually putting this company together and growing it rapidly, but also taking it public. So what I would highlight is a chief medical officer and his or her role at an early stage biotech can be multifold, okay? So you will have external facing roles and internal facing roles. External facing roles, especially if you're good at communicating data and talking to different types of audiences, you and the CEO will be out there quite a lot, which takes up all day. Then at two in the morning, you're running the internal operations, which usually include anything from preclinical to clinical development to clinical operations to planning commercialization, which includes medical affairs. So it is a lot of work a lot of stress and frankly you have to be quite self-aware to manage through all of this otherwise it becomes incredibly challenging to be successful in that kind of environment and you have multiple different stakeholders that it's also becomes very challenging for each one have a different need each one is have a different agenda different focus area how did you manage the board uh, at that time when you joined um, i believe you were tasked to pull together quickly uh, uh, clinical development plan in a very short period of time and there was a lot of pressure on that. I remember those times and how did you end up managing that? So that is another important question, Ramin. So before I went to Avexis, a good clinical development plan usually took up to a year in most companies because obviously I work for bigger companies. My first day, Sean walks, brings me into his office and says, look, I need a clinical development plan ASAP to present to the board such that we can get funding and move this program forward rapidly. So essentially I had 10 days or less. So guess who I called? I called you guys, SSI. I talked to Doug, I talked to Mother, 
and we all got together at the local Pasipani, New Jersey office with a crack team of neurologists and others who were really experienced in drug development, including biostatisticians. And frankly, I still cannot believe we pulled this off. We put together a full clinical development plan for a gene therapy program in a neurologic space, spinal muscular atrophy, within seven to 10 days. And then we took it back to Sean, the executive team and the board, and we presented it. And then most of it got executed when I was at Avexis. Now, the point I will make here again is remember, I was not a neurologist, I was not an expert in gene therapy, and I was not an expert in spinal muscular atrophy. So what I did wasn't what I did, it was what the team did with me, that includes the SSI team. And then the rest became history because as many of you know, this company flourished over a course of two and a half years when we were there, where the data that we generated in the clinic was incredible. This became a life-saving product. And we took this company public in February 16. And as all of you know, in April of 18, Novartis purchased us for $8.7 billion. So this is a experience that I consider one in many lifetimes. And it's what one would consider a unicorn biotech. So to kind of wrap this up though, Again, that plan could not have been put together if not for the team that worked with me from SSI and others. So a lot of compliments to everyone who worked on this program. Uh, Sukhu, tell us a little bit about the leadership team at Avexis and the dynamic of the leadership team and, and, and your interactions with the group there uh, and uh, your takeaways and how were you able to kind of overcome some of the challenges that, that you initially had? So I had a very diverse leadership team people with very different experiences from clinical development to clinical operations, to medical affairs, to health economics, etc. And one cardinal rule that I had with all of you, which as Ramin, you are part of my leadership team there, was that I would remind everybody, yes, I'm the chief medical officer, but there's a lot that I don't know. The reason I have all of you with me and I hired all of you is to make sure we do far better than myself leading this team and making decisions. I wanted all of you to be very candid with me, which I encouraged and also challenged me appropriately where when I made certain decisions, if you all thought that was not the right decision, let's talk this through and then come up with the right solutions to move the program forward for patients. And I found that open, honest, transparent conversations with my leadership team paid dividends because it not only enabled us to be even better than what we were, but it also enabled us to execute on a program that was moving through at warp speed. So as all of you know, we delivered results every quarter for Avexis that I've never seen any other company do in my experience. And that was partially because of us working together in an open, honest, transparent manner, focusing on the patient. And I would also add that I encouraged, and Sean Nolan was very good at this too, in bringing together diverse personalities where we could have disagreements in the room, right? To move a program or a decision forward. But then we left the room, we held hands together as a cross-functional team and represented the company and the patients in the best manner possible. So disagreements in an appropriate venue was always encouraged. And this open, honest conversations are what led to the strength of the team, such that diverse expertise and experiences could come together and work together to advance a gene therapy program that was transformative for patients. 
and the open honest conversation is not always an easy one to have because you you never know how the other parties are going to react or or if they they agree with you or not and it's and it's not as easy as you would think it's an open and honest conversation but the other parties may not quite see it that way they may get defensive or they may have other thoughts and how do you how do you overcome at that point when people come back and say oh absolutely not i fully disagree with you how do you manage that especially at the executive level so so another important question ramin right so one thing if you really remember is when we got together as a cross functional leadership team within medical we had disagreements right and eventually sometimes i would tell all of you i've heard all of you right and i have an opinion and i am going to adjust some of my decisions but now i am in the position where i have to make a decision so actually i would say this was one of my strengths i i sadly or for the good of the company never had a problem making a decision okay so i would make a decision and run with it because there were times we didn't have time to sit and pontificate so what i'm getting at is as a chief medical officer you have to mature to a point where you're willing to encourage your leadership team to share their thoughts share their disagreements then you have to take all that information process it and digest it and then make decisions sometimes very quickly especially when you're running clinical trials and you're dealing with patient safety as you know in gene therapy programs there have been issues around patient safety and we were a pioneer when it comes to avexis and there were a lot of things i saw from a safety standpoint that had to be appropriately managed you had to get in front of them whether it was managing with appropriate therapeutics you know wrap around uh, with the the private the principal investigator working on the program using uh, more prednisolone or immunomodulatory agents to manage the patients these were all difficult decisions that were instinctive based on collective leadership feedback where eventually my experience drove some of those decisions with the pi's to do what was right for the patient so again uh, there is no cookbook answer to your question ramin but i think there are many principles based on what i just said is again you have to be confident and comfortable in yourself as a chief medical officer in having those open conversations with your leadership team and then having the ability to make the right decisions that sometimes only retrospectively you know you made the right decision and that teaches you for the future okay great point about decision making and i think your earlier points kind of culminating some of this are around you know the need to have a really productive culture where you can have healthy pushback across the teams and it sounds like there is also a, a deep sense of trust in your collaborative cross-functional partners and what their expertise was and how you could work together. And um, I definitely see that as a, a critical point in you know, the clients that we're working with, but Suku, it sounds like that was part of the secret sauce at Avexis in particular. No, absolutely, Kim. And, and I would also highlight that uh, when you work with multiple uh, biotech companies and customers, something many of these companies have to do is, and at a leadership level, is actually be self-aware and look within and be open and honest when it comes to some of the gaps they may have and where they actually need help because many a time i see companies fail because they don't do so and they're not honest with themselves and and this is why many a time you know i have reached out to ssi to bring you all in to be kind of the you know the 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 person on my other as they say the person on my shoulder who points out hey you have a problem here you better pay attention to that hey you have a problem here because sometimes internally they won't point that out to you but People uh, from SSI have been very courageous when it comes to working with me in pointing out those gaps and helping me sometimes address those gaps for the greater uh, advancement of the company and our programs for patients. Right, absolutely. And I think one of 
one of the other secret sauce that you brought up a few times that were really the patients at Avexis. We were so laser focused on these babies, right? At the time that we were coming to the market, there was just only one other product in the market. And, and these babies were basically dying before they were two years old. So I think the whole company, especially being such a small company, we were so much in touch and laser focus on these babies, the parents, and what they go through and our partnership with the advocacy group that it, it translated to our everyday being and decision-making, which I think was also very, very unique um, at, at Avexis. Maybe one other question. And during that time, what would you think was one of, one of your best decision or the leadership best decision? And what would you consider to be not maybe not such a smart decision looking back? Uh, what do you think those would be? So from a decision-making standpoint, it was the team that I built because I knew what I was good at. Thankfully, I had been in the industry long enough and I'd taken a lot of punches, okay? So I had been involved with some mega drug development challenges, some of them which uh, were big pharma companies where it really makes you self-aware of what to look out for very early. So I was able to hire people in clinical development, clinical operations, and also medical affairs given how quickly this product was moving through the developmental life cycle to fill my gaps and to actually assist me in doing the work because I spent a lot of time during the day with Sean Nolan and others talking to investors, going to Wall Street, preparing for quarterly meetings, okay? Some of the mistakes I made during that period, which I still regret, is not taking time out for myself. That two and a half years that I spent, I worked so hard I never got any sleep. I had no time sometimes for my home, my family. Now, I was lucky that this was only a two and a half year period, but frankly, it felt like I was doing this for 10 years by the time I exited the company after Novartis uh, acquired us. So that's one thing I would remind anyone in a leadership role, including as a chief medical officer, you know, uh, eventually when uh, you go on and move on to the netherworld, people are not going to put on my tombstone, hey, this guy worked for Avexis, right? It's, it's really how your family remembers you and your close friends remember you. So this is part of reality. So I always remind people around me, career is great, but always remember there is much more to your life than just your career. Okay. I think it's a really important point. And, um, you know, one of the other questions that Ramin and I have really wanted to dig into a little bit, actually, we weren't going to ask this question with regard to your family, but would love to hear the perspective from your family as well as professionally. Uh, you've gotten a bit of a reputation for being a cowboy and taking some calculated risks and being really comfortable with that where many other people wouldn't be. Um, mm -hmm. How has that influenced the path that you've been on, the decisions you made, whether it's out of Vexus or elsewhere? Um, how has that influenced your, your family life and, and some of those connections? Most of what I've done in my career, I could not have done without the support of my family and my wife, Anne. Uh, if she hadn't encouraged me uh, to take this chance with Avexis, I probably would not have. Because as I said... So she's a, a cowgirl too, huh? Well, she has good instincts, right? I mean, you know, you, you have to have a partner who keeps you grounded, right? So, so uh, Quest Diagnostics, as I said, I was very happy. I was making a good living and my career was set. Uh, and actually, uh, even the CEO there was absolutely shocked when I left. But, but you know, sometimes, as, as people say, you have instinct and you have to take a calculated risk. And when you have a family, people around you have to support you. And I would say my wife, Anne, was very supportive. 
And frankly, it played off. I paid out, paid off, right? It paid off for patients. It paid off for the family. It paid off for my children, the three boys, who also have been very supportive. They have watched my career with absolute fascination, and uh, and uh, they still chuckle about the Avexis days because obviously uh, that kind of experience, right? Uh, from a career standpoint, from a personal standpoint, and also what it allows you to do for the future for others, uh, I think is remarkable. But it is a retrospective look. Now, obviously, this may have not worked out. If the Avexis uh, program and the company hadn't succeeded, people would have looked back at me and said, well, we told you so, right? But thankfully, that's not how it worked out. It actually en enabled me to open my world to obviously go and work on multiple other gene therapy programs as an investor, as a board member. But frankly, financially, it also ena enabled me to be very philanthropic because one of the things I've been absolutely interested in is helping other people and other parts of the world where people are challenged economically. So there's a lot of good you can do once you succeed in your career, both from an emotional and a career standpoint, but also financially. So, so my collective conclusion here is there's a lot you can do, but you cannot do it by yourself. If you have a family or a partner and children, they all hopefully are with you to support you and be there for you. And then in, in terms of the calculated risk taking, tell us a little bit about that in terms of, you know, it's clearly paid off that you've had the ability to walk, walk into conversations with your board, the rest of your executive team, maybe say things that people didn't want to hear, but things that they had to hear or that were really strong convictions for you. Um, tell us about how you've gone about that and maybe advice for others in terms of when it's appropriate or how to appropriately do it. And, and now you, you just mentioned you're a board member for a number of organizations. So I'm, I'm sure people are having those conversations with you. How, how do you want those conversations to go if, if they're going to? Well, so, I mean, I have evolved over the years where I've always decided, even as a young physician, to follow my true north. And that is really doing what you believe in. So when I'm in situations from the time I remember uh, as a physician and my career, as it has evolved, I've always made up my mind to do the right thing. So whether it comes to making decisions on organizational structure, clinical development plans, patient safety, those are critical features to me and I will not allow anything to get in the way of things that I believe in. And I have always uh, decided that if I'm part of a team that I feel I don't believe in their, uh, in their edict, and I don't believe in what they're doing, I will have an open conversation. And if it's not for me, I will walk away because then I do not want to be a part of that. And that has always worked in my favor because many people who may find that challenging when somebody is very honest and open, eventually appreciate that openness because most of the time it works in favor of the program or whatever you're trying to achieve for patients. Because remember what all of us are doing in the world of biotech and pharma or diagnostics is we are trying to help patients, right? So if you don't keep that in mind and we forget that eventually, not only do we hurt patients, but we hurt ourselves and we hurt our company. So this is something I, I, I kind of tell all my people around me, always remember your true north, do the right thing. It's much easier that way in the bigger scheme of things and towards the end of life. Right, it definitely, it comes back to your early point about the the need for self-awareness, not just in the skills and the things that you're really good at, but also in terms of what your true north is and how you really think about your role and things that you can and can't do in the industry. So it's a really important point here. It's amazing. And, and I think 
the courage is the part that makes it really challenging to do that. A lot of us know what the right thing it is, and we know exactly what we need to do. But that extra step to have the courage to speak your mind and telling to your leadership, to the board, to the CEO, uh, it, it takes a unique um, personality to be able to do that. And, uh, and thanks for sharing that too. That's, that takes a lot to be able to do that. To do some of what I just said, you also have to take the risk that you may get fired. Not every board, nor every boss of yours is going to want to address some of these things you may put on the table. And obviously there has to be a certain way to communicate these things that are politically appropriate as well. But then there are situations where you may want to thump the table with your fist because sometimes you need to get people's attention. And I've done that more than a few times in my career, okay? And I do that especially when I feel people are not hearing me and I feel that it is critical for patients and patients' lives that I step up and stick my neck out. So I will always remind people who want to be chief medical officers, you have to do the right thing by your patients. It doesn't matter what the share price is or what you're trying to do for the board. It's the patient first, okay? As long as you remember that, you will be successful. Tell us a little bit about um, talking about the patients and your career. And obviously you have been incredibly successful and, and launched a lot of products, have also mentored and uh, hired many people in our industry. Uh, and I believe recently you have established uh, an award for translational science. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, why, what is that award? Why was it so important to you? Um, and and uh, what's, what's your goal there? Yeah, thanks for asking about that award, uh, Ramin. So this was an award my wife Anne and I established at the American Society of Gene and Cell Therapy. It's called the Jerry Mandel Clinical Translational Award. So, you know, Dr. Jerry Mandel, Nationwide Children's Hospital. I am a huge fan of his. He doesn't know this because he and I used to have some very interesting conversations when I was at Avexis as CMO. But I took my hat off to him when he was the physician who dosed the first child in the spinal muscular atrophy type 1 trial without prednisolone prep where he gave this child a trillion viral particles. And that is what led to the history of Avexis and the success of Zolgensma. And to me, Dr. Mandel has been at this field for 40 years plus. So when I left Avexis and I was in a financial position to do so, I felt I had to honor him in some way. So this was one way for me to emphasize to the community of gene and cell therapy that you need brave translational physicians who will take the animal data and then be willing to work with patients, whether they are children or adults, to make that difference when it comes to the clinic. And actually, ironically, the first recipient of that award was Dr. Jerry Mandel himself because the committee felt very strongly. By the way, I had nothing to do with the award being given to him, okay? So I'm completely unbiased. They felt this gentleman was incredible in what he has done in his career. And then the second winner was Dr. Kathy High, who is also a pioneer and I have a lot of respect for her. And as you all may know, she was president of R&D and the chief medical officer of Spark Therapeutics. So if you think about it, Avexis had Zolgensma approved for SMA type 1 and SMA, and then you had Spark Therapeutics that had the other gene therapy approved for retinal dystrophy, right? Uh, another rare, difficult to treat disease. So I felt incredibly honored 
that this simple award that my wife and I put together for ASGCT was able to actually recognize two of the pioneers in gene and cell therapy. That is incredible. I, I think he's well aware of your affections now. You can't really hide it anymore. <laughs> so, Suku, you know, many of the people that are going to be listening to this podcast probably are not at the stage in their career that you are um, probably earlier in their career CMOs or, you know, aspiring CMOs. If you were to give them some advice at this stage, what would it be? What I would tell somebody who wants to be a chief medical officer, who just became a chief medical officer, is number one, remember to be yourself. Never forget who you are. Always be humble, okay? That's the first thing. Second is work on self-awareness. Be very sure eventually of what you're good at, what you like to do, what you're interested in, and what your actual gaps are and how quickly those have to be filled. Because many a time I find young physicians or physicians who've just become or other you know, experts in the field who have become chief medical officers tend to get wrapped up in themselves and suddenly get overwhelmed with what they have to achieve and forget to build the network and the team around them. If you look at my career, for example, most of what I have done, I didn't do by myself. I did it because of everybody around me. And I, and I'm, I sincerely mean it. Ramin, you are part of my team. There were people at SSI, there were many others uh, you know, Doug Feltner, Doug Sproul, Courtney Wells, who are all part of my team. I mean, if not for that incredible team around me at Avexis, we would not have delivered on everything we had to deliver on. And obviously, I didn't refer to the C-suite, Sean Nolan and others who are part of the C-suite at Avexis and obviously other companies that I'm involved with. If not for this incredible team around me, none of this could have been delivered as a CMO. And this is what I would always remind a young up and coming CMO or somebody who wants to be a chief medical officer is remember who you are, remember where your weaknesses are, don't be shy to admit that you don't know, and make sure you have the right network and people around you. And all, oh, and one more important thing, don't feel shy to ask for help. I have never had a problem asking for help. Actually, sometimes I think that's my strength, and actually sometimes even people think maybe I'm a little crazy about that, but I will put my hands up and say, guys, I need help because I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. That's, that's great advice, uh, Suku. Um, we have come to our, uh, at the end of our podcast, uh, and I know we can probably do another couple of hours and, and questions. We had so many different questions that we wanted to ask, but we focused on this few uh, for this first podcast that we have with you. So perhaps maybe in the future you can join us. Um, I do want to thank you for taking some time of your day and be with us today. And also, uh, really appreciate sharing your knowledge, your insight, your experience with us in a, such a candid way, in such a such an authentic way and pragmatic way that actually our listeners can uh, can take it to their day to day. So, Ramin and Kim, I want to thank you for talking to me. But can I leave both of you with one more thought? Of course. And this is for all of you, including uh, up and coming chief medical officers. Remember that everybody around you matters, which includes the person who opens your door, the guy who takes you to the airport, right? The guy who comes and uh, does your work at the house, because uh, all of these people can make a difference in your lives. And maybe someday if you ever do another podcast, I have stories of where a taxi cab driver changed my life, where a doorman in New York City had significant influence on what I did in biotech, etc. And 
I'm telling you, people around you, always be nice to them because you never know when you need them, okay? That's an incredible point. So on that note, thank you again, folks, okay? And have a good day, all right? Thank you so much, Suku. Good to see you, Suku. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.